Everybody Googles everything, especially potential customers or employers, and a business or personal online reputation can make or break you. If negative search results or reviews are impacting you, Webamax is here to help. Our proven process restores your online reputation quickly and effectively, and it matters. Don't let negative results control your narrative. Visit GoWebamax.com and fill out a brief confidential form to see how we can help. Remember, if you aren't paying attention to your online reputation, someone else is. GoWebamax.com. Anatomy of an ad. Subconsciously trigger emotions through music. Perfect. Define an opportunity. Imagine talking to millions of people across the U.S. like I am now. Identify a problem. Creating an audio ad is time-consuming. Offer a solution. Utilize cutting-edge AI. Imagine creating all that in under 30 seconds. Well, we did. To create this ad... To learn more about AI in the audio industry, download the white paper from audiostack.ai. Anatomy of an ad. Subconsciously trigger emotions through music. Perfect. Define an opportunity. Imagine talking to millions of people across the U.S. like I am now. Identify a problem. Creating an audio ad is time-consuming. Offer a solution. Utilize cutting-edge AI. Imagine creating all that in under 30 seconds. Well, we did. To create this ad... To learn more about AI in the audio industry, download the white paper from audiostack.ai. Anatomy of an ad. Subconsciously trigger emotions through music. Perfect. Define an opportunity. Imagine talking to millions of people across the U.S. like I am now. Identify a problem. Creating an audio ad is time-consuming. Offer a solution. Utilize cutting-edge AI. Imagine creating all that in under 30 seconds. Well, we did. To create this ad... To learn more about AI in the audio industry, download the white paper from audiostack.ai. Before we begin, if you like what you hear on Mile High Report Radio Podcast, don't forget to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, and go ahead and click subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You're listening to Mile High Report Radio with your hosts, Adam Malnati and Ian St. Clair. Get involved with the Denver Broncos conversation at milehighreport.com. And now, it's time to get to work. All right, everybody. uh, Big show today. We're very excited. Ian and I love to do this show once a year. Uh, We'd love to do it more than once a year, but uh, this is our big draft show uh, that we are going to be doing today with Trevor Sikama of the Draft Network, Tampa Bay Trey on uh, Twitter, uh, one of one of my favorite guests because we get to talk about the Broncos draft, but then there are so many other things that we get to cover as well. So, Trevor, welcome. Uh, thanks for doing this. Thanks for joining us today. Of course, I appreciate you guys having me on. I know we've been able to do this a couple of times. It's one of my favorite little appearances and interviews that I get to do, just sitting there talking ball with you guys because it's always a good time. So I appreciate it. Well, let's get right into it. Obviously, the Broncos have the number nine pick as it stands. And I have said for weeks since the 49ers made that trade with the Dolphins to get the number three pick that what they eventually do, what George Payton does, is going to ultimately be decided by John Lynch and Kyle Shanahan. Where do you sit right now as we record this on what the Broncos are going to do in the first round of the draft in about a week? Yeah, so, I mean, I'm kind of with you. It it really just depends on what happens at number three overall. Ultimately – And I've always felt this way, obviously, when the trade went down and there was a lot of big media that was pushing the other way, I was like, wow, okay, I I guess I got to rethink this. But 
I always felt like it was for Justin Fields. I the trade that Trevor Lawrence obviously going number one overall. Zach Wilson's gonna go number two. I really think that it's it's Justin Fields is going number three. I'm not buying the Mac Jones hype. I mean, you don't move three first round picks for a player like Mac Jones. And look, I think Mac Jones can be fine. Like I I think that Mac Jones can be a good starter in the NFL, but you don't move three first round picks for a good starter. You move three first round picks for a player that you believe can be a quarterback that could win you a Super Bowl. And especially if you're the 49ers, I mean, they already have Jimmy. You know, like they have Jimmy Garoppolo. Why why would you trade three first round picks not to just go get a quarterback, but to go get one that might not be that much of an upgrade over the dude you already had? I mean, like that's just a terrible way to do business. And I have so many words out there now basically bashing the 49ers if they happen to pick Mac Jones. And so if it ends up happening, uh, yeah, I might have some people like coming for my head or whatever. But I, I just I have to believe that it's Justin Fields. I mean, he brings them the higher ceiling. And so with that being the case, I've always thought that, well, not always. This is really since I saw what, what George Payton was able to do in free agency, which was fantastic. I really do believe that the Broncos had one of the best free agency periods, bringing in the secondary players. They did locking up the guys to make sure the rest of the roster is sounded. When you look at this Broncos depth chart and their starters, their projected starters. Yeah. Okay. Like there might be a couple of areas that you could say, all right, they could use more talent here, but weaknesses. I mean, there's not a lot of them inside linebacker, I guess, but you got two guys who are already really experienced running that inside linebacker room, right? Tackle maybe, but you're hoping that Juwan James is going to be the guy that you signed in to play the contract with a couple of years ago. And so, you know, all of that to say wide receivers, it's a really young group tight ends. You got two good ones that can stretch the field running backs. You got Melvin Gordon. You could use some depth, but you got the guys at the top defensive lines. Got a lot of bodies you're throwing at it. Um, secondary, I think they did a fantastic job shoring up and that leaves what quarterback. And I think that everything has always been about just drew lock. I mean, drew lock has held the keys to where this current Broncos core is going to go. But I feel like Peyton did a really good job in free agency of making it. So they're picking at number nine. If they want to move up for, to go get a quarterback or if they just want to pick one at number nine, they have the freedom to do so. And I think the big player that I'm looking at right now for them is Trey Lance. And I guess I started answering this question saying that a lot hinged on what happened with the 49ers. But if I assume the 49ers are taking Justin Fields, everything for the Broncos really rests on the Falcons. Because if the Falcons are going to take Trey Lance all right, then Denver's probably sticking at nine or maybe trading back, depending on what they want to target. But if the Falcons don't take Trey Lance, let's say they take Kyle Pitts. You know, let's say that they don't even trade the pick. Well, Cincinnati's not going to take a quarterback. Miami's not going to take a quarterback. Detroit's probably not, but like maybe. But at that point, you're all of a sudden three picks away from where we've already heard Miami might be on the phone and willing to trade back from six again. So it's like, all right, well, Denver might only have to move up three spots if they want to go get Trey Lance. So these are all of the thoughts that go around my head when I think about what the the what the Denver Broncos could potentially do at number nine. There's a lot of different things on the table, but I really believe, since I think that Fields is going three, it depends how they view Trey Lance. Because I think that if they have a chance to go get him, even if you kind of like Drew Locke, Go up and get a guy like Trey Lance if it doesn't cost you much. Have an open quarterback competition and go get yourself the best one of the bunch. So 
That actually, you just said something there. The best one of the bunch. You, you're talking about the best one left over, I assume. Meaning, sure, right. Meaning not Matt right. Jones, right? Yeah. But, but it is interesting. I'm I'm curious, and and maybe this is just the 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 pessimist in me. This idea that Trey Lance, his experience in college has been at a lower level than a guy like Mac Jones. I'm not a Mac Jones fan. I'm just using it as an example here. Mm-hmm. And he's not got as many games under his belt. He's he's more like Zach Wilson, right? Same number of games, 17, I think. Only he's at the FCS level. He's not he's not playing, you know, at the top level. Right. Is that something that would would scare you off, right? I, mean, I, I can't ask George Payton, but if you're the GM of the Denver Broncos and you've got you know that that's your big hole. Are you afraid of a player like Trey Lance because of just the lack of, of tape and the lack of competition that he really played against? I think it depends on a couple of things. One, you've got to be confident in the coaches you have in the building. And I don't mean fake confident in them. Like they're your friends that you've hung out with around the league and they've been in your inner circle. So that's why they're on their staff. If you have an offense coordinator and a quarterback's coach that you believe in, Trey Lance should not scare you at all. In fact, he should be someone that you get really, really excited about. I don't think there's any doubt about it that some coaches in the NFL are going to not love the fact that Trey Lance just doesn't have a lot of experience as a starter, right? I mean, he's got the one year as a starter, didn't really play in 2020. I don't really count that one game. I mean, it's such a one-off. It doesn't really even matter. So you look at one year of starting experience, and like you just said, it's at the FCS level. So if you are – the other thing that I would talk about is situation. If you are a team that you are drafting Trey Lance to start right away for you, that's tough. You know, like I think that Trey Lance is smart. I think he is ahead of where a lot of other 19-year-olds are, which is how old he was when he was putting out the 2019 tape, okay? So I, I think that he understands things pre-snap. He's able to read the field pretty well. He's got a great baseline of understanding how to attack defenses. He's also great with his legs. He's got a cannon of an arm. All of that gives him the higher ceiling. So that's why I think you'd p- take him over Mac Jones, but – there's no doubt about it. You've got to handle his situation correctly. You cannot be a team that's just going to throw him out there or he's going to disappoint or he's going to develop some bad habits just to try to survive. But for the Broncos, they don't have to do that, right? They already have a quarterback that is there. So if they go draft themselves, if they go draft themselves Trey Lance, then it makes sense because look, if he struggles early on in camp, if he struggles in the preseason, fine, you start Drew Locke. And Let's say Locke absolutely balls the heck out and just becomes a guy that you go, wow, this dude could actually be the franchise quarterback for us. You got a trade piece. I mean, like, I'm not trying to Philadelphia Eagles quarterback factory this whole situation, but, you know, for the Broncos, I think that it really does make sense. It didn't really make sense when the Eagles did it, going to get uh, Jalen Hurts, even though it was his second round, because it's like, okay, you shouldn't have planned on Carson Wentz to really have the wheels fall off like they did last year. It's a different situation. True lock for as much as I think some people like him in the building, he hasn't proven that you need to give him that undying faith. Right. And I think that that's a different situation here. And I'm not for the Broncos giving up the house to Atlanta to go get Trey Lance. I feel like that's just, They don't need to do that. I really don't think that that's the case because if Drew Locke struggles for them, then they're probably around the same spot they were right now in next year's draft anyways. And at that point, you would be more aggressive to probably go get the guy you prefer because we figure the first three guys are already spoken for. So that's me kind of word vomiting a lot of the situation that I think is in my head with Trey Lance that is why it makes sense for the Denver Broncos to take a chance on him. They've already got a guy in there where they don't have to play Trey Lance right away. 
And again, it comes back to coaching. If you got the right guys in place, if you got the right players to really mold him and bring him along in the NFL, I don't think it'll be take too long for him to really become a, a guy who can get a, caught up to speed to the pro level. You mentioned the coaches, and one of the key figures in this is offensive coordinator Pat Shermer. And a lot of Broncos fans either don't like or don't trust him. Anyone who listened to our podcast with Cecil Lammy knows how uh, he feels about Pat Shermer. Um, would you trust Pat Shermer in getting Trey Lance if Trey Lance is the guy that George Payton ultimately decides to either trade up with Atlanta to get or Miami or he somehow falls to number nine? Do you trust Pat Shermer enough to get the most out of Trey Lance? I'm not the biggest Pat Shermer fan, but I, I don't I'm not sitting here thinking that he would like ruin Trey Lance's career or anything. So I'm not really sure. I think that the answer to that question would come down to the guys who are probably ahead of him on the food chain, right? What Vic Fangio thinks, what George Payton thinks, like how much do they really view Pat Shermer? Because, you know, you bring him in as the offensive coordinator because Fangio, he's a defensive coordinator lifer, right? I mean, like he's just defense has been that side of the ball. So when you hire Shermer, you hire a guy who's known offense a lot because sometimes you get HUD coaches that you can sign who, have a lot of different connections in the league. Maybe it's because they've been a head coach before, or you could see them having their hands on both sides of the ball. Like Brandon Staley, for example, you know, like he played quarterback, you know, he, he's a defensive coordinator, but he played quarterback. So when you hire him as a head coach, um, the way that the chargers did, you figure he'll probably have his hands in both sides of the ball. Fangio was just, he was always defense. And so I understood why you bring a guy like Pat Shermer is, I think, I think that that makes a lot of sense for what Denver was doing early on when they hired Vic Fangio, but that's something that I think you got to evaluate internally. I mean, like he's had his successes and failures as, as an offensive coordinator and as a head coach, Pat Shermer has. And so really that's, that's more of a hard conversation that you probably got to have closed doors with George Payton and with John Elway and with Vic Fangio all in the same room and just being like, all right, let's be real about it. Do we have the coaches in the room to make the most out of Trey Lance? And I think that that's important when the guys at the very top get to have those real conversations and they're not trying to fool themselves. They're not trying to be like, oh, Pat's on staff. He's our guy. He's the best offensive coordinator we could have, like you sometimes say in front of a microphone, right? So that's really how I just view it. I'm not exactly sure just because, you know, I'm not in the building all the time with him. I don't get to see how Shermer's been able to hands-on work with these quarterbacks. And that's a question that they just got to kind of look at each other in the eye and, and be truthful about. So just to kind of take it a different direction here then, because clearly, you know, when you talk to anybody who is a fan of the Denver Broncos, Broncos country in general, the conversation is always around the quarterback and, and what's going on there, just because that's the clear issue. But you have to sort of look at the draft and go, okay, well, there's, I think there's, there's four guys that you would want. Any one of those four quarterbacks are gone, or if all four of them are gone, what are you doing at nine if, if you're the Broncos and Lawrence and Wilson and Fields and Lance, oh my, are gone, are you are you looking at at bringing in a guy like a Penne Sewell who probably won't be there or or another you know offensive tackle the what's the, is it Jenkins this guy's name is escaping me all of a sudden right yeah and or or Patrick Sertan are you going defense there or are you more interested in gaining draft capital which is one of those fun cliched things to say get that draft capital and and trade back with I don't know, say the Bears, for example, who might trade up for a Mac Jones because Andy Dalton is their QB1. Right. I, I think that there is 
a couple of different ways you could look at it. Trade down from as an outsider's perspective, trade down seems really alluring for them because when you look at the two areas of the team that they could probably address the most outside of quarterback, it's right tackle, depending on Juwan James, and it's inside linebacker with the guys that we named there. And I, I don't think either of those spots are big time detriments at this point, but we on, on locked on NFL draft, we're doing an exercise route right now called the guest mock draft series. And we have somebody who the team or follows each team, come on and tell us about it, you know, make a, make a mock draft pick. And we had Cody Rourke who is with locked on Broncos. We had him on our podcast and he talked about how Juwan James with him getting hurt early in his contract that first year and then opting out this past year, like, it's no guarantee for him. Like he's almost kind of got to win the locker room back, if you will. Like he's got to earn that right tackle spot. And so as much as you look at the contract that he signed and how much money he's making, you think, okay, he's going to be their right tackle. All of a sudden, if you don't have a lot of confidence that he's going to come in after two years after signing that contract and come in and be their guy at right tackle, then at nine, instead of trading back, like if Rayshon Slater's on the board, maybe you take him, right? I mean, like that's an offensive line upgrade, which really, really helps a, a young core that they have in the middle. And it gives you two bookend tackles, you think with Bowles and then Rayshon Slater on the other side of the coin. Maybe you could still trade down and get the best of both worlds. If you will, you don't want to get too cute with major needs. And I think that that's why it just depends how much of a need they feel that right tackle spot is. But you know, if you look on defense, you go, okay, Micah Parsons, Jeremiah Usu-Koromoa, Zayvon Collins, right? I think the Broncos would be happy with any of those guys. You don't got to pick them at nine. I mean, you might have to pick Parsons at nine, but if you feel like you can get away with getting those guys or whoever is left more in the teens, you know, somewhere between 15 and 20, I think that if there is at least one quarterback left, you know, like if Mac Jones is left or maybe if Mac Jones and Trey Lance is left, are left and, and you don't want Trey Lance, you could probably convince a new England Patriots team or a Washington football team, or maybe even the Chicago bears. Cause Lord knows what they're thinking at all times. Maybe you could convince them to move up to number nine. And all of a sudden you're sitting there at 15, 19, 20, and you're getting yourself Collins or Tevin Jenkins, who would be a perfect right tackle pick for them. So I think that if you're not going quarterback, if you're Denver, it's really alluring to explore what could be a trade back because those are the big needs that I identify on the roster. And I could see it a variety of different spots, different players that they could be happy with there. So that's where my mind first goes to, honestly. In terms of Micah Parsons, what do you make of all the talk that's out there about what has unfolded at Penn State? And is that something that you think is going to ultimately make him fall down or will people get to know him through the Zoom the Zoom conferences that they've had right. with him. Um, where do you where do you fall and and what will happen with Micah Parsons? The thing about players stock when they're in these certain situations is you just don't know, right? Because thirty one teams in the NFL could look at a situation all the same and go, "I'm not drafting this guy till the second round." And I'm not and I'm not saying Parsons specifically. I'm just giving a general kind of like a general situation. Thirty one teams in the NFL could look at a player who might have some like off the field things that you got to vet out, and thirty one of them might go, "Yeah, I wouldn't draft that guy until uh, until day two. But if one team goes, "Hell yeah, we love him. We're drafting him day one. We're cool with the character. We've all checked it out." And let's say they're picking at number eleven. All of a sudden, 
He just goes number 11. And we go, wow, okay, I guess the NFL was hiring Parsons. Maybe that wasn't the case. Maybe it was just that one team because it always only takes one. And so with Parsons, I think he's going to be a high-variance player on a lot of different big boards. I think he's going to be up for some guys, down for some guys. It just all depends. And, you know, I've gone on some podcasts and radio interviews with say like people in Las Vegas uh, and, and people in Washington in the DC area. And every time they're always like, do you think Micah Parsons could make it to us at 17 or 19 or whatever? And I go, maybe, you know, I, and I think the two things go into that one, you have some uncertainty off the field that you got to figure out. And two, he plays linebacker. Yeah. I understand that Devin Bush and Devin white both went high a couple of years ago, but it just doesn't happen too often that you get a linebacker like that, even for a guy of Parsons caliber. And anytime that you throw in any kind of negative that might be a wrench into that, well, then all of a sudden your mind might be opened up and you go, okay, well, I mean, there's other good linebackers in this class. We could get Jeremiah Wusukoromo. We could get Zayvon Collins. We could get Nick Bolton. We could get Baron Browning. You know, there's, there's a lot of different things that come into it. And maybe teams would convince themselves that they don't need to take the risk on Parsons if they believe him to be a risk. So, I'll just tell you, I mean, film-wise, Parsons is a top 10 player for me. I think he ended up a top five player for me because when you look at his background and how he was able to come up as first a weak side defensive end, that's actually what he came to Penn State as. He was a defensive end. Then he transfers over to outside linebacker. They start letting him be a little bit versatile on the line of scrimmage. They move him into inside linebacker. And that 2019 season, if you go start to finish, you watch some games early on in the year, the middle of the year, end of the year, you see how he progressed, how he was able to take really big steps as a linebacker, fitting in that true off-ball role. And so that just gets you more and more encouraged because he already knows how to attack the line of scrimmage. He could come off as a blitzer, but how he was in coverage and his feeling coverage got better as the year went on, that makes you think that, boy, when you see those athletic scores at his pro day, you think that that's just going to go straight towards him becoming a better player. So, yeah, I mean, it's it's a true wild card, I think, to go back to the original question. You just don't know where he's going to go, and that's why I, I say for Denver, if you want Parsons, just draft him at nine. You know, like, don't get cute with it. If, you re- if, if he checks all your boxes, if you've done the background and he's good to go and that's the player you want, don't get cute with it. Just draft him at nine. But if you look at his situation and go, mm, we don't love him, all of a sudden a lot of other linebackers start to come into play. Quick follow-up with that. What is the fit with Micah Parsons and Vic Fangio? Because anyone listening to this podcast, anyone who's been a Broncos fan, knows that the biggest bugaboo with the Broncos defense has been middle linebacker since Al Wilson retired. And that was like 15 years ago. What is the fit with Micah Parsons and Vic Fangio's defense? Well, I believe I'm making sure that I have this right, but Vic Fangio was there when the Chicago Bears drafted Roquan Smith at eight overall back in 2018. I believe it was. Is that correct? Do I have the yeah, no, right? You're, you're right because I'm a I'm a huge Roquan Smith guy. I wanted him in Denver. So they clearly showed the value and Fangio clearly went, this dude is worth it in my defense. I'm sure that they consulted him about it and they said, look, we're picking number eight overall. That's a damn high pick. Are you actually going to get the most out of this guy to where the value is worth a top 10 overall pick? And Fangio said, yes, so much to the point where they pulled the trigger on him. And that's what makes me think that, you know, when you look at what could be with Parsons in at the centerpiece of that Fangio defense, what he is like in coverage, how he's going to pursue sideline to sideline, having him blitz up the A-gap and the B-gap. I mean, that's all stuff that's exactly in Parsons' wheelhouse. And I think right now, they have capable linebackers in Johnson and Jewell who can 
do what they want them to do. And I think that they can, they, they're, they can do their job. But in terms of those like eye-popping, playmaking, I'm going to make up for the rest of the defense because I'm just that damn good kind of ability. Parsons brings that in a way where the current guys on the field do not for, for the Broncos. And I think that, yeah, I mean, Fangio saw that upgrade in 2018 and and they took it, the debate for it. And so I've, I've got to believe that he's probably got that similar mindset. Uh, if it's just it's a very versatile piece where you can move him around in a lot of different directions. And two, I mean, you've got Johnson to Jewel this past year, this next year. So if you're pulling Parsons in, you could put him at outside linebacker sometimes. You know, like you can really screw some offensive lines up playing him at a variety of different spots given his edge background. And so I think the versatility and what you could do with them, as long as Parsons isn't a liability in coverage his first year, especially with the two guys they already have already on the roster, that gives you a lot of flexibility of how you play him and how you get the most out of him in his rookie year as he kind of comes into being a starter more as a centerpiece guy. Okay. Well, I'm as a, as a Roquan Smith guy, that's part of the reason I am a Roquan Smith guy because I know how important that that position is and would be great for the Broncos. I guess my my other follow up question to that is how many times did you practice saying Jeremiah Owusu Koromora <laughs> because you just rattle it off like like nothing. I, look, I mean, like y'all know, I know Albert Okwegbunam's name like the back of my hand, and so it's just like it, this is just this is easy for me. I, it's it's so funny when you do. Ben and Ben and I on our, our, our Locked On NFL Draft podcast, we do summer scouting. So like we will go through the list of guys who are draft eligible and we'll kind of look at probably 10 to 15 names at each position and we'll go through a couple of weeks and just do some podcast episodes about it. But that's when it's really funny. You know, like that's when we haven't heard people say it a lot. We haven't repeated the name. And so we'll just be like, oh, a woo. Okay, I don't know his. I don't know this guy's name. Uh, the linebacker from Notre Dame, and it's just <laughs> we will try our best, and we will butcher it so hard. I mean, the Okawegbunam name took us forever to get down, but you know, you start in the summer, you get a lot of practice. So yeah, I've said that one plenty of times. Okay, so the next direction I'm going to go with that because I I am kind of a a fan of him as well. He's not available in the second round, is my guess. And so, what do the Broncos do day two if they don't address that position, or or do they try? Like, I guess my the main question is, what do they do day two? Like, what, is, what do you see for the Broncos day two, day three, like as the draft goes on? Well, you know, if do we want to assume that they're like picking quarterback at nine? Do you just want to kind of like assume that they'll sure, just go let's quarterback? Play, and let's play some... with that, yeah. Okay, so let's say that they're picking quarterback in round one. And then what's Denver? Does Denver have any like extra picks, like a lot of extra picks? I cannot remember. Ooh. See now, one of the things that Ian and I always talk about is this is why we have you on because you're okay. you're the <laughs> I draft can tell you, expert. I can I can tell you in two seconds. Okay, they have nine, they have forty, they have seventy one. Okay, they don't have any extra picks, especially on day two. So when we look at day two, it's kind of the positions that we talked about before. You know, if you want to upgrade right tackle, I think this offensive tackle class is deep enough to where you can get a player like that. You know, Alex Leatherwood's a guy that comes to mind if if, if you want to go get him. In the second round, if he is still available, he's had a lot of versatility. He's played right tackle, he's played right guard, and he's also played left tackle for Alabama. And so, I mean, if he, if he works out best for you at guard, if you want to play him there, if you want James is already being solid, or if you're not so sold on James and you want an insurance policy, I think, I think offensive tackle is definitely an area that 
that the Broncos should probably continue to look at even beyond the first round, especially if they get a, a young quarterback in there that you can never have too many good guys. And, and this offensive tackle class is uniquely deep. Now for the teams at the very top who really still want a starter right away, I would tell you, don't let that shy you away from taking a guy that you know you need to take in the first round. But if you're waiting a little bit to the second round, I think that you're going to be happy because you guys, you got guys like Alex Leatherwood, Spencer Brown's another one from Northern Iowa, Brady Christensen, Stone Forsythe. These are a handful of day two offensive linemen that I think could really help out teams earlier than you would expect for day two O linemen who normally would go higher when, when drafts aren't as, as bountiful. And so linebacker, I mentioned a couple of them already. The guy that I'd probably look at if I'm the Broncos is Baron Browning because he gives you an athletic profile that you don't really have right now. Nick Bolton, I like as a prospect, but he is more of a slasher type of middle linebacker where he'll get some tackles in backfield for you. Like he knows how to shoot some gaps, but the coverage limitations are there. And I feel like that's already the problem with the guys they have. Like they know how to tackle. They know how to go downhill towards the line of scrimmage. So I'm not so sure Nick Bolton would really be a great fit for them. Baron Browning is the dude. Uh, I guess Jabril Cox as well, I think should definitely be on Denver's radar. I don't know if you need to take him with your second round pick or if you can wait a little bit until the third round, but he's probably one of the most comfortable players when it comes to coverage he just he has a very good feel for it and if that's really what you're trying to upgrade for the broncos i think that that's where you can look you can look at probably those two guys as the main targets for denver on day two that could really help out this team in terms of depth for the secondary um with justin simmons and kareem jackson getting older especially since he's coming back on a one-year deal are there are is there potential to get secondary depth whether it's day two maybe day three uh, for safety or even cornerback, especially with you know Bryce Callahan, Ronald Darby being guys who have had issues staying on the field. Raul right. Dar- Darby did stay on the field his last season with the Washington football team, but are, are there guys where they could get potential depth for either safety and or cornerback? I think the perfect player for Denver in the secondary is Elijah Molden, the player from... Washington and I really really like Elijah Molden he's one of my you know when everybody asks like hey or who are some guys in your class that are just like your guys Elijah Molden's consistently my guy comes from an NFL background father played in the NFL for a while and you just you see that immediately when you watch his tape his spatial awareness how far to line up uh you know in front of wide receivers when to give them when to give them cushion when to get up in their face how he can watch the quarterback, how he can anticipate routes so well. I mean, like it's all there for him. You could tell this is all ingrained in his mind for years and years. And he plays strong safety. He also plays as a nickel corner. And I think that that's a really good hybrid, especially for Vic Fangio and what he's trying to do. He would look at Elijah Molden and he would look at like what he has been able to do from a football IQ standpoint. And I think that he'd be a really nice chess piece for him. So that's one that immediately comes to mind. I love, for some of the safeties, I mean, like Trayvon Merrick's fantastic as a safety, but I I don't think the Broncos are going to, I don't think they're going to invest a higher pick in Trayvon Merrick. I also am not sure he's available for them in the second round where they're currently picking. So I I don't think he's really going to be an option for them anyways. I'm looking at safeties now. Oh, Homsen is Cyril Dean's a player who I really, really like. He's the safety from Florida State, and he's very unique because he is a six-foot-three 
long rangy safety who can play down into the box a little bit, not afraid to tackle. He's got good athleticism on the back end. He's pretty versatile in how you play him as a free safety or a strong safety. Florida State even played him in some single high looks a lot when they were there. And I feel like we're not talking about Nasir Dean enough because Florida State's defense was just so bad. Like the team, it's like as a whole was just terrible. And if Florida State would have been more sound on defense, I feel like Nasir Dean would have been able to make a lot more plays. And so when you talk about that strong safety type that Kareem Jackson is, a way to complement what Justin Simmons is as a free safety, I really do believe that now that I'm thinking about it, I never had this pairing before until I just thought of it with Nasir Dean going to the Broncos. I really, really like the idea of that. Not sure if you have to draft him in the second round or the third round. I don't really know where the NFL is on with, with Nasir Dean because – I don't really know what they think of any of the Florida State players because the, the or the team as a whole was so bad last year. But shoot, if you can get that guy in the third round, that's definitely a win. I love that we just you just worked that out with us. That's fantastic. Uh, we we were able to help you arrive. Right. Yeah. At, this at is why I come on the show for self enlightenment. You know. <laughs> yeah. That's this what, is, this that's is a great place. We don't provide any information, but we provide <laughs> the. We're we're the Buddha tree, oh. right? We're the Buddha tree. You found your enlightenment. I'm glad we the can spark help plug. With yeah, we're the spark. We fired up the engine. Oh my gosh! All right. So then the next the next step there is, and I I know you're getting deep into the draft at this point. If if you're the Denver Broncos, what what is your game plan on the weekend? Like when you get to the late rounds, what what do you think Denver should be doing with their late round picks? And it, it doesn't matter specifically where they're picking because I think that once you kind of get to that back into the draft, it it feels like filler almost. Yeah, but it, but it shouldn't be right. It shouldn't be just filler because there's always going to be guys who can impact your team. Yeah, well, you know, day three picks are hard because we as draft fans like to look at the draft as seven rounds. And we we love to just say like, oh, all seven rounds matter. And just that's just not always the case. I mean, we could point to guys that are seventh and sixth round picks that do end up making it in the NFL, but. For every one of those, how many is there a guy that just got cut and didn't make it? So I think first and foremost, you've got to be able to look at your special teams units as they stand before draft weekend and say, are we strong enough? Do we have enough special teams ace players? Because if not, then when rounds five, six, and seven roll around, you want to get yourself some guys that are going to be special team studs because that side of the ball can often be the X factor in what we see with wins and losses in the NFL. I mean, the margin of victory is so small nowadays that you want to make sure that you're not a liability in those areas on special teams. And so if the Broncos feel comfortable and I don't, when I say special teams, I don't just mean kick return or punt returner. Like I'm talking about gunners, blockers, everything like you, you've just got to be really sound as a unit when it comes to special teams and if the Broncos believe that they're good. Okay. That's, I think the first box that you check, then you want to be best player available, but I often think it's most important to get high value positions. And that means offensive linemen, defensive linemen and secondary players. That's where I think that you're going to find a lot of your value. And so you want to play best player available with those positions, whether it's a guard or a tackle or an interior defensive lineman or an edge player, or like I said, like, like some sort of a corner, those are often the positions where if you hit on them late, they give you the best return. You know, like sometimes wide receiver could be in there as well, but wide receiver is just, 
I mean, it's so deep every year. You don't even have to prioritize it like that. If you get a guy who you really love that falls in your lap, I think that certainly go ahead and go get him if you believe that he could be an impact player for your team. But if I'm the Broncos and if I'm every team, I'm looking at offensive line. I'm looking at the swing players. Who's coming in first if I get an offensive lineman that goes down? You know, if, if, if I got a, a starting guard that goes down, am I prepared for that? Do I have a swing interior offensive lineman? Do I have a swing tackle that's sitting there to be my sixth and seventh offensive lineman? That's also really important when you get later in the rounds. And then along the defensive line, do you have specialized players, whether it's, you know, pass rush situations or, you know, heavy packages on the goal line? Do you have enough beef up there to make sure that you could defend short yardage situations? Can you really get after the quarterback on third and 12 if you get into that situation? So, I think that that's probably where we're looking. Day three is all about those priority positions, and that's where I'd go if I'm the Broncos. So at the top, you mentioned that the 49ers are going to go Justin Fields. What if they go Mac Jones or Trey Lance? What do the Falcons do if Justin Fields is there? Because Adam and I have talked about how I think with Matt Ryan's contract and the way that Arthur Blank has approached this offseason – I don't think they go quarterback. I think they go Kyle Pitts, but that might change if Justin Fields is there. Right. And if you're George Payton and Justin Fields is there at four, is he a guy where you you may not give up that capital to get Trey Lance, but this is Justin Fields. Does that change how you approach this if you're George Payton? I think it does. Yeah. Yeah. I, I have Justin Fields comfortably above Trey Lance. Now I gave both of them the pr potential franchise tag label. Like I think that these guys can both be franchise tag types, but yeah, Justin Fields is the better player for me. And if Justin Fields makes it to four, Atlanta might take him. I mean, I'm, I'm with you when I looked at the situation with what they did with Matt Ryan's contract and how they extended him and how they moved the money. There's so much dead money in 2022 and 2023. I'm, I'm thinking to myself, how in the world could they take a quarterback? But, you know, in our guest mock draft series, we had Tori McElhaney on who, who covers the Falcons for the athletic. And she, she kind of gave us a little nugget that said that, that um, Terry Fontenot, their new GM there, he didn't want to extend Matt Ryan. Like he didn't want that, but he thought, he had to to move the most money to give them the cap space that they needed. That was really the only way that he was going to be able to move that much money to affect the cap the way that he wanted to. It's been reported that Arthur Smith thinks that he could win with Matt Ryan. Of course he thinks he can win with Matt Ryan. He won with Ryan Tannehill, right? He knows he can win with Matt Ryan. And so he's saying, go get me an offensive weapon. You know, don't I don't need my quarterback in waiting yet. But I think Terry Fontenot is, is more fond of saying, hey, I'm the new GM. I'm a first-time GM. I want to go get my franchise quarterback. We're the Falcons, and we're picking at number four. I don't plan on picking at number four again. And so if Justin Fields is there, I think the Falcons would probably take Justin Fields. You know, he, he was obviously at Georgia before he transferred over to Ohio State. He's got that Georgia connection there with him and originally committing there. And so I think that they would honestly, they, they would probably pick Justin Fields. But let's just say in a reality where they're not, yeah, if I'm Denver, I'm picking up the phone. I think that this guy's an instant difference maker. I think this is a guy who, if he outplays Drew Locke in training camp and outplays him in the preseason, like you could start Justin Fields week one if you wanted to. He'll struggle like any rookie quarterback is going to struggle. I don't think there's any doubt about it. But if Justin Fields is on the table at four, I think that uh, I'm, I'm definitely making a call to see what it's worth, and I'm, I'm being a little bit more aggressive with it. And then I'm for sure 
if the Falcons say no and they end up taking somebody else, like if they just really want Kyle Pitts and they take Kyle Pitts, then I'm absolutely getting the Dolphins on the line. And I'm saying like, I will outbid any team that's trading up to you at number six, because I don't think the Bengals are going to move because they need one of Jamar Chase or Penny Sewell. So all, all of that to say, if Justin Fields doesn't get picked at number three, yeah, board goes wide open for, uh, for what the Broncos could give up to go get him. Okay. I'm going to, I'm going to send, give you my side of this. Ian and I have gone back and forth on this a little bit. I do think San Francisco probably goes fields because I don't I don't know how you pass on that talent. But as I look at what the Falcons are doing, isn't Trey Lance the perfect addition there because he doesn't have to start year one and he can be the franchise quarterback in two seasons and essentially take over for Matt Ryan halfway through that second season and and just they just keep rolling a la I hate to say this, a la Brett Favre and Aaron Rodgers. I, I mean right. in a similar way. Yeah, there's there's no doubt about it. You can convince yourself that picking Trey Lance would fit their timing a little bit better. I'm not picking the guy who I don't think is better because of timing. Right. No way. I don't care. That's just that's not that I mean if they think Trey Lance is better, they think Trey Lance is better. Okay, whatever, that's fine. But I'm not letting the oh, the fan base probably won't be as mad at us because we can just excuse it as Trey Lance needs more time behind Matt Ryan. I'm not using that as a reason to why I'm not picking the better quarterback. You know, if you're if you're going to pick one, like if you've convinced yourself, hey, we're the Falcons, we're not going to pick in the top five ever again. At least, you know, of course, they're going to tell themselves that. We don't intend on picking this high ever again. You better go get the quarterback that you think is the best, not the one that you think happens to fit the timing of the regime that's not even there anymore. So, could they pick Trey Lance and could you spin it to make sense? Yeah, absolutely. But if they do so over Justin Fields, I'd still tell you that was the wrong move. Well, yeah, I don't think they're doing that over Justin Fields. I think that's crazy talk. But <laughs> so, so I get where you're a lot of pe- a lot of people have brought that up though. Yeah. You know, like a lot of people have have talked about the timing of Trey Lance and why it would make sense. And I get why it would make sense. Not over Justin Fields, though. Agreed. Agreed. All right. Okay. So, Ian, are we ready to change gears a little bit? Because I, I, I know that Trevor's got to go soon because he's got he's got to do this with many other people. But it, I think it's time, right? I think it's time to ask some offbeat questions here. Uh, last time we had you on, you were yes. in the throes of your Game of Thrones viewing. And you were tweeting. You were live tweeting it almost. It was a great follow and no offense to you because I'm sure that life gets hectic, but it feels like it fell off a little bit as the series went on. Did you finish the series? Did you, did you enjoy the series? I did finish the series. It, it took me a while to finish it because I was, I was running through the first six seasons. I was like, it's a great show of all time. Like I just like, I couldn't watch episodes fast enough and I got to season six and I just, I think what ended up happening is is we ended up my girlfriend and I we took some vacations we weren't in town so we just weren't watching it and then all the season all of a sudden like the season started and I just didn't have a lot of time to binge watch like I was just trying to watch all kinds of tape and trying to keep up with the league as it was going on and everything with work and so we just kind of like put it on the back burner and it's it's funny because the episode that I stopped at was the one before Hard Home, the Hard Home episode, okay. which is like one of the best episodes of the whole yeah. series. And so, yeah. and so when I came back and I watched Hard Home, and I was just like, oh my God. So season six, I thought was a masterpiece. It was wonderful. Season seven, I thought was good, but you could tell it was going off the rails a little bit. When I finally finished the show, I'm not going to lie to you. I thought it was fine. 
Like I, I understood it. Like I understood where the writers were coming from uh, because in the version that they were telling, they were able to make it all make sense. And I was like, yeah, okay. Like, like I get it. Like everybody said it was the worst ending ever. And I was like, no, I don't, I don't think it's the worst ending ever. I thought it was fine. I mean, it was a great show. It ended, you know, the ending of the show was going to piss people off no matter what, because this is their favorite show ever. And they're just mad that it's ending. So I, I kind of like chalked it up to that. I have since gone on YouTube and watched a lot of like, here's how it should have ended. And I'm like, well, frick, man. Yeah, that's how should that's how should end it. Like, I just I, I listened to a lot of like fan endings and different scenarios. And I'm like, damn, why didn't they do that? That was way better than what actually happened. And so after watching those, I have since grown to be less fond of the ending. I don't hate it or anything, but I, I just feel like they could have tied things up and they probably could have ended the show in a way that was a lot more true to where the characters were going and how the show really could have ended. So I still liked it. I still love Game of Thrones, but yeah, the ending wasn't the best. I am curious to see how the prequel plays out. Cause yes. I, I, it's going to be very interesting because I, I hated how it ended. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> it felt like the office after uh, Steve Carell left. Right. <laughs> so I, I, I'm, I'm curious to see how the prequel plays out. I will say I went back in. Um, we watched season one recently so this is the first time that i'm going i that i've gone back and watched it since watching it for the first time and like it's brilliant i mean the the things that they say in season one that directly correlate with like six seven and eight i'm just like this show's amazing like i i enjoyed season one so much on a rewatch and so i'm kind of excited to keep going uh going further than that yeah, I I actually have this problem where I get to the end of a series and I can't watch the last episode because if I watch the last episode, then it's over. And so, like, I, I, there's probably like that's four what I did five, with Deadwood. That's what I did with Deadwood. It's I, I, there's probably like four or five series on Netflix right now that are saying, "Do you want to watch this last episode?" My, no, I don't. It'll be over my, then. I don't want it to. My be over. Uh, my girlfriend did that with How I Met Your Mother. I mean, like, she just got to like the very end of it and she just like stopped watching it. I'm like, you have to watch this. The ending of the show. You have to watch the ending. Everybody she knows that. No, she's story. she's like you. Yeah, so it's, it's hard to let go. All right, so next next question because I got a couple. Mm-hmm. I want to get through them here. Barbecue. I'm going to go to barbecue first. We'll we'll I'll okay. figure out what to do with my hands later. But with barbecue, you're a three sides guy. Yes, hundred percent. I, I believe, and, I, and I'm with. I actually am with you on that because I love sides. I think they're delicious. Yeah. But I have a question for you because I think this is an argument. Mm-hmm. When it comes to sides, and yes. you start to talk about things like bread. Are bread items, and I I use the word items intentionally. Are bread items aside? So and when where you does s- cornbread play into that, because Adam okay. make Adam says that cornbread is not bread. It's, it's not bread. It's something completely separate from. Because you corn can meal. use cornbread as anything you want, That's like right. it's its own side. So by bread items, I, do you mean either some sort of toast? some sort of biscuit or some sort of cornbread. So is that what you mean? Yeah. Cause, well, cause you get like rolls or when you get a brisket, right, you get the rolls, piece of okay. bread underneath right, the brisket, right. which I don't, I think that's just the delivery service. That doesn't count. That doesn't count for me. Okay. That's not, that's not a side for me, including cornbread. Wow. I don't, I, I don't, I don't think the cornbread is a side. There are too many, there are too many places that throw cornbread in there. Now, like 
So the spirit of the three sides minimum rule that I have that has really just taken on a life of its own because people love it and yeah. and I, I love people for it. The spirit of it is simply that when it comes to meats, main dishes, whether it's ribs or, or brisket or pulled pork or whatever it is, each region of the country, you know, whether it's Alabama, North Carolina, Texas, Kansas City, Memphis, whatever it is, they have those meats that they do really well. And they also have their styles that everybody kind of knows of. But if you go into a Memphis-style barbecue, they might have a family recipe of barbecue baked beans that is just out of this world. That they just Their family does really well. You could go to a, a Memphis bar, another Memphis barbecue place, and they might do hush puppies like like legendarily well and that's the same sort of bar so the reason why i do three sides minimum is because barbecue unlike a lot of other cuisines has a lot of homegrown recipes that you might not try so everybody always has their two sides with barbecue that they absolutely love whether it's you know like mac and cheese baked beans coleslaw whatever and if you go with the hey yeah i'll have the i'll have the pulled pork plate and Oh, you get two sides with it. Oh, okay. Well, you're always going to order the two sides that you love the most, always. But if you expand it to three, then that opens your mind a little bit to like, if you're looking at what they're making in the back, or if, you, if you're looking at what somebody had on their plate and you go, man, those collards look good. Or like, man, that banana pudding looks awesome. Or like whatever it is, then you all of a sudden free yourself to be like, all right, I'm getting three sides at least. I'm going to go with my two favorites. And then you know what? Give me the collard greens because it looked like you guys do that really well. So that's the whole spirit of the rule. Now, bringing it back to cornbread, if cornbread ever comes with a meal, I would tell you that it's not a side. But like if they have cornbread that you order separately that's like jazzed up and like has something about it that's great, then I would tell you that it's a side. So, so it's, it, it has rides the fence. It has to do with, does it automatically come with the meal? Is it a pulled pork plate comes with cornbread, two sides? Because if that's the case, I'd be like, nah, cornbread doesn't count. But if it's like, all right, comes with a biscuit and two sides, but they also have this bomb looking cornbread, then I would tell you, okay, then that counts as a side because they're putting some extra time into it. So that's what, that's my, uh, that's my theory. All right. So as long as the cornbread is doctored. All right. I'm with you on that. And I'm really hungry now. No. Yeah, so am I. I get hungry every time I get asked about this. So. <laughs> you probably get asked a lot. So, you're, you know, I apologize for that. All right, last one, uh, at least, you know, because we, I know you got to get running here. The NASCAR thing. That, uh, that, oh, uh, yeah. That looked so cool. How many times did you quote Talladega Nights just while you were in the car? <laughs> so... My girlfriend for my 30th birthday got me something. We, we live in Charlotte. She got me something called the Richard Petty Driving Experience, which is at Charlotte Motor Speedway. And what they do is we didn't know this at the time because I was like, okay, what happens here? Like, am I just like riding shotgun? Like, is somebody else driving? And she's like, no, I think like you drive. And I'm like, okay, but somebody else is obviously in the car with me, probably has like a steering wheel and, and has the, the controls head. themselves. So like, right. Like, we're like, if I'm you know going crazy, they could take over the car. Nope, just me. It's literally just me in the in the stock car. Like it's just you. And so they give you like they give you this like 45 minute video presentation about safety. And that's it. They just strap you in the car. <laughs> so it's just it's way it, it was wild. It was crazy. So we were actually supposed to get 
video with it because she bought the package to where they have a little camera that's on the dash to where it records you as you're driving, which I thought was super cool. I get in the car. I do my like six laps or whatever it is. I, I did like the five minute time and it was, it was awesome. I got up to like 130 miles an hour or something like that. Like it was, it was sweet, but I get out of the car and I'm like, Oh, is there video? And they're like, Oh shoot. Like we didn't put a little SD card in there for you. Do you want to just run again? And I'm like, yeah, absolutely. I want to run again. So <laughs> I had to wait in line again. I had to, to wait to get another car and I get in a different car this time. I have experience with a manual shift, but like I don't do it every day. Like it's not something that is just like second nature to me. And so that's why like I was able to I was able to operate it well enough in the first car to get up to fourth gear and get up to top speed and everything. The car they gave me the second time around, the clutch, the gas, and it was all just so finicky that I I, I couldn't even get it out of first gear. Like I felt so bad. I was so embarrassed. I was like I don't know what to tell you. And like the dude's kind of like yelling at me. He's like, he's like, I don't know what to tell you. Like, I'm just, I'm explaining it to you. And I'm like, I know you're explaining it to me, but like the gas, if I, if I barely touch it, it's going to like 4,000 RPMs and it's supposed to be around 2000 when I switch. So I don't know what you want from me. So, uh, yeah, I mean, that was an ordeal. And I, I actually, I did not get to run it a second time. And so there's unfortunately no video, but to the Instagram caption of that day, I did put, um, this sticker is dangerous, but I do love Fig Newtons as as the caption to quote Talladega Nights and, and Ricky Bobby. So that is an incredible experience. That's awesome. it was it was nuts, man. It was I, I would encourage everybody to do it because when am I ever going to do that again? I'm never going to do that again. So it was awesome. I, I don't know what else to say. I think that's the best place to end, Trevor. We again, we love having you on, and it, and it is because of the draft, but it's it's so much more than that. So. Uh, we definitely appreciate it. Um, you know, let's let's do it again, obviously. And uh, I, I thank you. Thank you again. Yeah. No, I appreciate you guys having me on the show. Uh, maybe we'll have some time. We could pop on. We could talk about who the Broncos actually did draft. We could talk about some fits afterwards. Yeah, let's absolutely do that. You've been listening to Mile High Report Radio. Get involved in the discussion at milehighreport.com. And as always, go Broncos. Anatomy of an ad. Subconsciously trigger emotions through music. Perfect. Define an opportunity. Imagine talking to millions of people across the U.S. like I am now. Identify a problem. Creating an audio ad is time-consuming. Offer a solution. Utilize cutting-edge AI. Imagine creating all that in under 30 seconds. Well, we did. To create this ad. To learn more about AI in the audio industry, download the white paper from audiostack.ai. Anatomy of an ad. Subconsciously trigger emotions through music. Perfect. Define an opportunity. Imagine talking to millions of people across the U.S. like I am now. Identify a problem. Creating an audio ad is time-consuming. Offer a solution. Utilize cutting-edge AI. Imagine creating all that in under 30 seconds. Well, we did. To create this ad. To learn more about AI in the audio industry, download the white paper from audiostack.ai.